and welcome to Reflex Point, your weekly podcast where we review and discuss the series Robotech one episode at a time. We're your hosts, Major Medina. And I'm Paul Marquez. And this week, we're talking episode 20, Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost first appeared on American television on March 29th, 1985, and the synopsis reads, After the disaster in Ontario, the SDF-1 is ordered to launch into space as a practical exile. A practical exile, huh? A practical exile. I read it twice. I also went with the shortest synopsis I could find. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. Always a good plan. Uh, So we start out with the narrator, our faithful narrator, saying that Captain Global's plan to evacuate the civilians aboard his ship has come to a disastrous end. A barrier overload during a fierce battle with the Zentradi has wiped out a nearby Earth city and much of the surrounding countryside. The people of Earth know nothing of the circumstances that led to the explosion, only that the space fortress is now regarded as a threat to life and property. Meanwhile, Commander-in-Chief Dolza reviews the video record of the battle and is shocked. All right, so we got uh, we start off with Dolza watching footage, with, uh, and he's watching it with Britai and uh, believes that the Micronians are more ruthless than previously thought saying that they were prepared to destroy an entire population center, which is a term I like. If we ever started a Facebook group, a Robotech Facebook group, I would want it to be population center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be an interesting name for Robotech. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a deep cut right there. But so can you imagine this from Dolza's point of view now? Okay, because... Dolz is ruthless. We, we can agree on that, right? Right. How, how many countless lives have ended at Dolz's command? So many. And here we have him thinking how <laughs> ruthless, uh, you know, Marconians are. I really like it. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy, right? Yeah, he, he's like basically saying they're determined to just kill everybody. Uh, I, I don't know if this is commentary or not. You know, if, if an alien race is viewing us from afar if they would have this view of, uh, of humans. Well, here's what I've always thought. Now, an alien race that reaches us obviously is more advanced than us in a lot of aspects. Right. But one thing we're pretty goddamn good at is killing each other. So I'm not thoroughly convinced that we would be a hundred percent powerless against someone that got here, you know, Sure. Because because I'm pretty sure that if we put in as much effort as we have at learning how to kill each other, we might be a star-faring race ourselves, you know? Right, right. Well, that I mean, I guess that's the point is if you were viewing us from afar, you'd be like, God, they, these are ruthless fucking people. They just kill each other. They, they don't even know why. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about it when you put an ant, you know, a, a black ant and a red ant, and you see them go at it, and you're like, look at these ruthless little bastards, you know? <laughs> yeah. But they're just, they're just doing their thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but we don't understand the concept of it. We, you know, to us, it's just barbaric, you know? Wow, right. I'm glad I'm not one of those little ants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I like this part where Frita uh, is just hanging back. Got a little right. grin on his face. Yes, because I love how Dolza says, this must not be a surprise to you, right? And Brita's all, this is what I've been telling you the whole freaking time, man. 
and and probably feeling justified, you know, for any loss, uh, any of his losses, and vindicated from command being taken from him. Like, yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and we've all probably been there. Have you ever been? Have you ever been reprimanded at work, and then your boss comes back and tells you, you know what, you were right. I haven't been, but I've dreamed about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, and it's it's a pretty you. It's it's hard not to be smug, you know. You're just right. like yeah. No, I, I've deserved every reprimand I've ever received. <laughs> yeah, well, there's been plenty of those too, but <laughs> but. But what's good is is the one reprimand you get that's wrong get, is good for about five good reprimands <laughs> that you get to be out of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be too harsh. Remember what happened last time. <laughs> so Dolza orders Britai back to command, and, man, Britai was ready for it, uh, asking for the uh, Imperial-class fleet to be deployed and placed under his command, saying he needs the extra resources. And Dolda asks why such a large force is needed. Britai says uh, the enemy is unpredictable and explosive. I mean, he can't just point at the screen and be like, that's that's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. We have them, so why not use them? <laughs> what are they doing right now? You know, They're at a big old drive-in right now, just parked <laughs> in front of a big old screen. <laughs> um. Have you ever had a, a job where you didn't have like um, like the resources you need and you got frustrated and you were leaving or you left and then the next person that comes in gets everything that you were asking for for the last like two or three years? Not quit a job, but I've been like laterally or even promoted, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then the person that, that comes up behind me gets that stuff and I'm like, what the hell, yo? Oh, yeah, that drives me insane. Where it's like, I need more people. Then the next guy comes in, they're like, sure, hire five more people. I'm like, oh, fuck you guys. Anyway, all this to say, <laughs> this is what Azonia must be feeling right now. Right? <laughs> right, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He gets a million ships for one, for one ship. <laughs> and uh, so Dolza grants his request. Uh, then Britai is dismissed. Oh, so Dolza kind of stops him and says, I expect better results this time. Yeah. And Britai doesn't take it. I, he kind of just goes, you won't be disappointed. Like, like, I've got this one now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like any bad guy in any show that has ever been. <laughs> he always says, like, I expect results. Right. But, but you would almost expect Britai to say to turn around and say something like, Something witty, you know? Yeah. But instead, I think he's more relishing the fact that this is round two for him now. He, he finally gets a chance at round two. I agree. I agree. In the original version, uh, Britai does say something kind of snide to him. And Dolza calls him out on it. Really? I, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it's something along the lines of like, I don't like the way you're talking. And Britai is like, oh, you must be imagining it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, Britai salutes by crossing his right arm across his chest, uh, putting his hand in a fist and bringing it up to around like the heart area. I don't know if they've ever done this before. I, don't, I, I couldn't recall. It seems like something I would have caught. 
So, uh, so Britai walks down a hall, met by Exidor, who asks what the plan is. Britai says he's been given command of the Imperial fleet, which Exidor confirms is more than a million ships. Yeah, okay, so a couple of things. When Britai walks down the hall, there's, uh, there's two guards standing at the entrance to uh, Dolza's hallway, and they both salute Britai in that same fashion. Yep, yep. Yeah. Wait, and again, that it was just driving me crazy because I just noticed it and was like, I'm sorry, has this been going on the entire show and I've just never noticed a salute? Maybe it hasn't. Like you said, I, I would have thought that we would have seen it by now. Seems like it. Seems like it. Um, another thing, Exidor asks if he's permitted to know the plans, Dolza's plans, which kind of makes sense. You know, it might be something that they talked about that was like, oh, hey, and don't tell anybody. You think Britai would uh, would break that anyway? No, I don't think he would. I don't think so either. I think he would have no problem looking at Exodor and being like, can't tell you, bud, let's go. Okay, so Exodor asks him, you know, what are the plans? And Britai starts talking. The thing that's hilarious here is Exodor's lips keep moving and to kind of account for it, you can hear him making like, hmm, ah, huh, sounds. <laughs> Just because his lips are moving and it sounded like they just slipped those in and you can't really hear it because uh, Britai is talking so loudly. I saw the lips and maybe because I didn't have headphones, I didn't hear what he was saying. But what I thought it was, was that stride for stride, Britai's walk is almost Exodor's run. And so I thought he was huffing and puffing trying to keep up with, with Britai. Okay, so it's canon. Uh, Exodor's a mouth breather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's already got so many other things against him. Why not a mouth breather too? <laughs> um, does having more ships equal being able to recover the SDF one any easier? Like a million ships. Like if if it was all right, we we have four ships and we can't get it. Send us sixteen ships. You know, let's go by four. Okay. But a million ships? That just means, yeah. you know, 999,980 are going to be like, okay, well, we'll be back here if you need us. <laughs> right. It seems just a bit of overkill, right? <laughs> yeah. there's, there, there's very little situation where a million more of anything else is going to actually be a good thing. Money comes immediately comes to mind. Other than if you're not talking money, <laughs> anything else... Right, right, it's not right. going to help. If you're not trying to destroy something, if you're trying to recover something unharmed as much as possible, it doesn't seem the extra firepower going to help you. So the only rationale I can come up with is how many ships does it take to blow up the planet? Because if it takes a million ships to blow up a planet, which I guess is not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think um, so then I could see him using, you know, hey, we're going to hold Earth hostage to get the ship. That's true. But I don't think he needs a million. A million is a lot. Man. A million <laughs> is a lot. I think the size of the Imperial class fleet in the original Japanese version is 1,200. That's... You know, seems... us cowboy Americans, we, we had to ramp it up. Right. We can't million. leave good enough alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah? Well, let's make it a million. Can you imagine? I want to see in the be in the meeting where they pitched that. And he's like, so then 12,000 ships, you know? And he's like, oh, 
1,200 ships. And he's like, I know how we can make this better. We need to put some more pizzazz. And he's like, how about, and he looks around and everybody <laughs> leans in closer. And he's like, a million ships. And they're like, oh, God damn. <laughs> People started cheering. Some ladies all fanning herself because she <laughs> can't handle it. <laughs> It must have been grand. Uh, uh, hey, I'm sure it was Gregory uh, Snagoff that did it. <laughs> right. Uh, so the narrator explains, as Bredi and Exidor shuttle back to their ship, uh, they reflect that this might be the most difficult task they've ever faced as previous encounters with the SDF-1 have led to defeat. Yeah. You know what? A recovery mission has to be much more difficult than a destruction mission. So, okay, I can buy this. I just convinced myself. Never mind. Yeah, well, not to mention, I think a lot of unexplained hesitancy on the Zentradi part is, and, and the Robotech masters are probably responsible for screwing this, is that the Robotech masters wanted to make damn sure the Zentradi never turned on them. Right. So kind of made Micronians as this larger-than-life type of of entity, you know? So it's got to be like at every turn, they've got to give us the benefit of the doubt because the only other Micronians they've ever known are their masters. Right, right. That's a good point. Um, so I wanted to talk about this. So they, they leave Dolza's ship, and they go on to this little this hover platform and they take that over to their uh, transport shuttle that, that takes them back to Britai's flagship, right? So I went to the Grand Canyon recently. And I'm not um, I'm not afraid of heights. But the minute I walked out <laughs> onto the platform of the Grand Canyon, uh-huh. I kind of lost my shit, man. <laughs> I was not, let's say, comfortable, even against the reinforced fence that they had set up. I did not care for it. You mean you didn't lean over and take a selfie on a on a very precarious edge? I did not. Wow. I held on to my kid's hand, <laughs> pretending like I was keeping her from doing something. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will explain. It was also like 20 mile an hour winds. Oh, yeah. So I felt like even more insecure. But honestly, if there hadn't been a, any wind at all, yeah, I did not care for it. Again, I'm not scared of heights, although I may have to reevaluate that that statement. Right. Well, it's one thing not to be. I mean, what you don't have is an irrational fear of heights. But when you're on the precipice of a 10 million foot fall, you know, yeah. I'm exaggerating a little bit. One million um, ships. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not irrational. I can see why you'd be scared of that. It's, it's pretty daunting, right? I didn't care for the majesty. Okay, so you got to imagine that Britai is like how high up right now in that little shuttlecraft? So if I was on that and it's moving, you know, it, it's got a little gate, what have you, or a little, uh, what do you call that around it? A, a little uh, fence around it? Yeah, yeah. A guardrail? I don't know. I, I couldn't have dealt with it. Yeah, well, and what about engine failure, you know, or mechanical failure? You want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Let's just get to the ship. <laughs> So they, so they both get over to Britai's ship. And how do we know that it's Britai's ship? The broken glass. That's right. 
That's quite a few episodes between Big Escape or The Big Escape and, and now. How come they haven't fixed this? How, how come they haven't fixed it, right? So who knows what else, but I, I, we'll get into that. That's a talking point a little bit later on. Awesome. All right. All right. So broken observation bubble uh, and pre-tie orders is fold operation. Yeah, fold into Earth. And he says something about like the, sh- the other ships getting in, in position. And I, and I want to say the books say something about like when a big, big ship folds, the other ships that might not have fold systems can end up being taken with the fold by being close enough to that ship. Oh, wow. It, like in a, in a controlled way or an uncontrolled way, like Macross City or, hey, we need to hitch a ride. Like a, hey, we're going, everybody get close and hold on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how big a ship needs to be to have a fold system. Or if it just has to just has to have a fold system, right? Could any ship. But I guess the bigger the ship, the more you can take into your fold bubble, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool to save on some gas. You know, it's like, hey, I'll tow you in. Let's go. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back on Earth. The SDF-1 is receiving loads of supplies carried by helicopters in large crates. Yes, big boxes. So we got the narrator telling us that the people of Macross are noticing all the supply trucks, and they're talking and worried about it. It, it, This makes me think, uh, sometimes it's not a conspiracy. It's just that people aren't going to tell you what's going to happen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can imagine there's a bunch of people on Macross going like, what is it that the government isn't telling us, you know? Right, right. Alex Jones, right, is like, have you seen all those boxes? Huh? You know what's in there? You think that's variation coffee they're loading? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, of course, we see the wonderful Macross Nolds burger joint. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice that too, 70,000 right? served is what I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Macross Nolds. Like, okay, what? <laughs> that was that was perfect right there. I, if I didn't already loved this show, I loved it ten times more when I yeah. Saw and they it. they hold on it, man. They make sure you see it. But I got a, I got a damn good laugh off of that. I applaud it. I applaud it. But then we get a little somber here because we switch over to Rick writing Ben's parents that he has died in the line of duty. Uh, Rick is crying as he proofreads his letter and becomes frustrated. Uh, he notes how proud that they were of Ben, shows a little picture of, of Ben and his parents, and then a ghost of Ben appears, trying to tell him that, uh, that it was just his time to comfort him. This is heavy, man. Yeah. So here are some, here are some assumptions and, and some questions I have. Number one. This can't be normal protocol for officers aboard the SDF-1 to write a next-of-kin letter or a line-of-duty death letter to the parents. So I'm thinking this is a case of Rick just feeling responsible personally and feels the need to to notify Ben's parents. You're saying that it's not protocol for for the first officer to, to write the parents? I would say it wouldn't be usual on the SDF-1 because they haven't been on Earth to notify next of kin before. And then two, the government, 
has already counted everyone for dead. So in all likelihood, Ben's parents have already received like a knock on their door to be informed of his death following the space fold. So what I'm saying is that Rick probably shouldn't be doing this and that the government wouldn't want him to because it would expose their lie. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I thought about it too. And I think Rick has taken it upon himself because he knows that the parents are going to get some bullshit story and, you know, in his eyes, or at least to, to give the parents some kind of comfort and closure, the little that can be offered is that, no, he died a hero. You know, he died fighting. Oh, right. He, wa- he wants to get the story out because yeah. they, they've probably already been told that he was killed. Right. right. And it was probably a horrible accident. Right. So, but I never thought about the fact that does he have the intention of sending this letter or not? Because... How's he going to get it off the ship? Right. Not to mention, yeah, because it's a paper letter, right? Like, yeah, it doesn't look like he's he's writing an email. And maybe, maybe, for, you know, it, there's there's a propaganda slash uh, morale section or, um, or unit for, for the SDF-1 mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, yeah, write the letter. We'll take it and we'll deliver it. Oh, no my problem. gosh. <laughs> we'll hold on to it. And our first available chance, we'll send it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Not everything's a conspiracy, but sometimes things are conspiracy. But sometimes they are. And that letter right now is being used to plug up the hole that Rick and Min made (laughs) in that water pipe. (laughs) But I love Rick crying, you know, and and not not bawling. He cries in that in that man way, you know, where where your tears are coming down and you're not like (gasps) But you're you're crying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Ben looks like an only child. Which I guess we can kind of figure from the way he acts. <laughs> Would you have any more if that was your first? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Actually, I could see him being, you know, the one of nine as well. You know, where you have to be loud and gregarious to, to uh, be heard. To get an, any type of attention at all. Right. So <laughs> to, to move away from the the heaviness of this, how well do you think uh, Rick knows how to type? You think he knows how to use the uh, home row? Or you think he's I, ever used I, any of those Mavis Beacon games? Uh, do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah. Those? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's probably you know, below average, you know, less than a secretary, but more than a, than a, what do they call him? A, a picker, a, a letter picker. When, when you peck the, the keys with one finger. Oh yeah. 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 So uh, I, I, I can I, find he's probably, yeah, I'm sure he's better than that, but I'm, he's not breaking records either. All right. But, but see, but the moment I saw that speaking spell that global was using, I ain't typing shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's reserved for for admiral for, for captain and above, man. For high command, huh? Rick says there's nothing he can say to make it any easier. Does he mean make it easier for him or for Ben's parents? Well, being that to me, to me being that he says it right after talking about how proud his parents were. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying. I think he's saying for for the parents. Okay, all right. Because then Rick hallucinates Ben in his office, and, yeah. and Ben's telling him, "Hey, man, 
it couldn't be helped. It was my time to go, which is, you know, that that's in, that's in Rick's head. Yeah. And that those are the words he would need to hear to make it easier on him as a commander. I see the argument both ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if if someone told me, no, no, he was saying this, I, I'm right there with it too. Yeah. And, and Rick seems to know it's in his head. It's either that or he takes like uh, incorporeal visions in pretty good stride. Uh, ever ever since that head injury, you know, and the magic bike trip, he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's been seeing things a little different. I get these from time to time. It's no big deal. <laughs> so Max shows up and Rick takes the opportunity to get out of his room. And uh, Max seems to understand the weight of the situation, right? And seems to deal with it by talking a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I like when Rick comes out of the room, he's trying not to look at Max, you know, and he's wiping his eyes. He's like, you know, like that old Chicago song. If you see me walking by and the tears are in my eye, look away. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's doing. He's, he's wiping, wiping his eyes. Uh, It says, let's go real fast. And uh, Rick says he needs some fresh air. Max sympathizes with Rick about feeling responsible. Rick explains the helplessness is like watching someone uh, slip away from your grasp and falling off a cliff. Yeah. Pretty deep for a kid's cartoon, you that's know? Just, that's really I'm, deep. Uh, you know? Um, having said that, I don't think I really picked up on it as a, as a kid. Like, and it's maybe just age and, and understanding. You know what it really is? Talking about both his helplessness and, and the way he feels and him trying to write a letter. It's my understanding now that people have actually had to do this and, and have to do this kind of thing. And sympathizing with not, not so much with the cartoon or, or with Rick, it, it's sympathizing with the thousands of people who have actually had to do this and, uh, and kind of understanding that for yeah. as an older person. Yeah, because that's one of those things that you hope you never have to do, you know? Yeah, yep. So uh, then Max turns the conversation to himself and his recent promotion to second lieutenant only a month after a previous promotion. When when Max says that, I'm really just hearing, hey, Rick, a crap ton of us have been killed, huh? <laughs> Yeah, the way he turns it to him is kind of funny, right? Because he's like, I don't like I it. I wonder. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't care for it. And it's not anything evil. No, but it's but it's weird. He's like, I just, I wonder if I'll get my command soon, you know? Because I'm already a second lieutenant. I was only promoted a month from third lieutenant. But here's here's something, uh, the original Japanese version. This conversation is more about Max having been promoted and having been given a team. And Max is real hesitant about it after hearing what Rick is going through. Like, how am I going to deal with this? Why in the world did they give me a team and they made Rick a squad leader? Why did this happen? And Rick is basically saying, so many of us have died. All the, all the recruits we have or all the people we have left are very green so it only makes sense much more along the lines of of what i was reading into it 
with uh, Max in this versions. Yeah, wow. What a bad situation. Yeah, yeah, it is. So Rick, uh, Rick's tell, Rick tells Max that he'll make a great commander, and they watch a fancy helicopter land uh, and imagine it's a big shot telling them to leave Earth. Uh, Max then asks Rick if he believes the rumors that they are banished from Earth. Rick says he does, uh, and that they should enjoy the sun for what might be the last time. Yeah, on Earth, man. Anyway. That's brutal, man. That's uh, it. It's just heavy after heavy. Yeah. yeah. And they seem to, you know, I would imagine Rick is so distraught over Ben's death that the fact that they have to leave Earth again not number one on his uh, things that are making me sad playlist. Right, Roy and so let, let, let's count what Rick's got not going for him. Roy's death, Ben's death, Min May's craziness. <laughs> That's true. You know, so so leaving Earth is not, it, it might, he's like, yeah, let's go. Shit, well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Yeah, I I would imagine this whole thing would be slightly different if Pops Hunter was alive. Because at least he's got some family on Earth at that point. Right. Like he may yeah. have... He may have visited Pops Hunter when he went and took Minmay over to uh, Yokohama. Yeah, true enough. Maybe they'd been bring, bringing back Pops Hunter instead of uh, Lynn Kyle. Right. <laughs> That would have been a better choice, I think. So then we get to a kind of one of my favorite parts because I've kind of grown fond of the spies. I don't know why. I've just I've grown fond of them. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. So somehow they've stashed a battle pod on the SDF-1. <laughs> this, the only thing I could come up with, this is the one that, uh, Rick and Lisa and Max were rescued from during the big escape. And somehow they came across it, right? Yeah. They, they yeah. came across it. Maybe it was just stashed. Maybe that's why they chose where to, where to camp. Cause that's where they stashed it. Although I would have imagined it would have been under lock and key for a meal, uh, laying to evaluate, but maybe okay. there just hasn't been time for that. Well, no, or or it took so little time to do it. They're not sophisticated weapons. Pound for pound, the Veritech is way crazier than a battle pot. You know what I mean? The, the Zentradi sure. are, are numbers. They're not skill and 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 equipment. Right. They right. are they are very numbers based. They overwhelm you with numbers. So this basic, you know, they they, they studied. They had it under lock and key and realized, man. These guys basically wrap themselves up in a tin can with legs <laughs> and a couple of lasers and go to battle. Yeah. So in the in the short amount of time that it took for them to learn everything, A, they had way other stuff to worry about. B, they learned everything they needed to learn about it right away. Right. And then just put it in storage somewhere and forgot about it. Yeah. Yeah. They just looked at it and were like, son of a bitch. Their legs don't even go down into the other legs. <laughs> right. I had to go back to the episode where Miria drops the spies off in the SDF-1. So I was like, I'm sorry, did they have a battle pod with them or something? <laughs> and that's another thing, too. There could have been some other mission in between where a battle pod was put on the ship, you know, that we just weren't privy to. Right. 
But I like the idea better of commandeering the one that was retrieved with uh, Max, Rick, and Lisa. Yeah, but what was their plan if that hadn't been recovered? That's a damn good question. So, so I, I was imagining it was that one because they had to do repairs on it. And I don't know if the repairs included the top of the damn thing being able to shoot off from its legs. <laughs> that It couldn't be. It couldn't be because the Zentradi are not that proficient in fixing their stuff. What's the point of it being able to shoot off from the legs then? It's something we never see. <laughs> right. Okay. We never see it again. But so let's 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 say, yeah, you're right. It's okay. So so it can't be a modification that they did there. So it has okay. to have been. The only thing I can think of is, let's say, you that the enemy has you cornered, pinned, whatever, and one last boost of getting the hell out of there can Just get you to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's all part of maybe even a self-destruct sequence um, if the case comes out to that too, you know? Yeah, okay. The legs just keep kicking as <laughs> you shoot off <laughs> into space, screaming, right. help me! <laughs> oh, God. Then, you know, they're not as inept as the series has made them seem out to be if they can perform repairs on, the, on their battle pod, you know? From, from my understanding, Zentradi have very, very rudimentary knowledge of repairs. But Well, yeah, and they, and they do later on in this episode, they, they bring it up that, you know, the, the Micronians are very industrious and, and able to do repairs and, and adapt. Um, maybe their idea of, of repairs was just hanging some fuzzy dice from the, <laughs> the rear view mirror and setting the seat configuration up so that all three of them could sit down instead of, uh, you know, the one seat for the Zentradi. Right. Right. Just, I don't know, last minute preparations, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe it was even welding clamps that you can change shit down because apparently they were towing pianos and refrigerators uh, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> with this battle pod, you know, you can't have that stuff flying around. <laughs> that one that size. <laughs> So Bronn's cooking beef stew. Yes. And the others get excited about it. Yeah, and Rico turns on the, the radio, which has a CD player on it nonetheless. It does look like it has a place for a CD. So like that, that little spinny circle-ish thing? Yeah, so it has this like hatch on it that looks like it accepts a CD. Now, a little bit of research here shows that the first commercially available CD player came out in October 1st, 1982. And the first episode of Macross came out on October 2nd, 1982. So it seems that the uh, animators were up on the cutting edge of technology there by making it look like a CD player or having making it look like it had a CD player and writing the, the letter CD on there. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, right? That's pretty cool. <clears throat> because production probably started in 1980, 81, or 1980, yeah. So they're listening to My Time to Be a Star, and they dote on mid-May, making everything right. better. Right. It helps food go down better? No, it helps everything. <laughs> or it, it makes everything better. That's right. And it's Braun that's cooking, right? Yes. 
And Bron, he's, you can tell he kind of takes a little bit of pride in it and asks them, you know, how, how's, how's it, how's my cooking come, you know? And they were like, absolutely. And I, I can't blame him. I cannot blame him. You know, when, as a young man, when I got my first barbecue, my poor little family, at that time it was just my wife and my daughter, and uh, they got me a barbecue and I started to learn how to do it. And the first time, way too raw. And they, bless their souls, they ate as much as they could. I made them stop because they would have tried to eat it <laughs> just to make me feel better. And I'm like, yeah, no, guys, I know this sucks, you know? Yeah. Next time I basically fed them carbon. So sure. that, you know, I was like, shit. And, uh, but eventually I got pretty good at it, you know? Yeah. yeah, So, you know, I'm a, I'm a journeyman griller. If you, if you will, if you'll allow me that. (laughs) And uh, I got a buddy who asked me, um, how'd you learn how to grill? And I said, oh, I ate two years of terrible barbecue. (laughs) And that's the truth. That's the best teacher right there. Yeah. Just two years of varying degrees of terribleness and then the occasional like one in ten would be just outstanding and that would like hold me over until the <laughs> until the next ten right just when you were at the point of buying this thing was the biggest goddamn mistake I've ever made you came out with a five star meal was it a gift for you the, the grill? Yes. yes okay mine too and so I felt like I couldn't give up this is the hot grill talk you uh, you yeah, tuned in for, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, let's just get back on track. So they 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 compliment his cooking. You know, you imagine it's got to have gotten better. And once he was able to cook, uh, probably he wasn't running into situations, or they weren't running into situations anymore where they were trying to bite plastic food from window <laughs> right. places. You know, right? So so I felt I felt happy for them. And beef stew would be the one food that you would make, you know? When the first animal crawled out of the ocean and had dinner that day, it had beef (laughs) stew. Well done. Well done. I imagine the three spies had a lot of... uh... A lot of diarrhea during this time. Right. A lot of acclimation to go through, right? Right. I mean, because think about it, bro. If you don't eat... For like a week, let's say. And then if you stuff your face, it it jacks you up. Your body has to get used to it again. If you go to a different country and eat their food, your body needs to get used to it. And it may never because you're just not raised on that on that same. Right. right. There's some stuff that will kill you. There's foods that if you're if if your stomach hasn't ever been introduced to it, it can kill you. So then Bron, Bron admits that he's going to miss Micronian food. I can imagine that would be the case. Imagine fruit, chocolate, candy. You're not going to have that no more. Right, right. And then goes on to say he's going to miss movies and happy people and music. Man, that, when he says happy people. Right? Oh, dude. Like, my heart goes out to you, man. Definitely. Because... Dude, I'm not a people person, but when I go like like to the to Disneyland and 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 I'm I'm looking at the electronic parade, mm-hmm. and I see like like people like whatever it is about humans us, we love our lights, you know. <laughs> and I yes. see, you know, number one, the effect it has on me, and then everyone around me just looking at this light and being in awe, 
That, to me, that's happy people, you know, and it's infectious. Yes. Disneyland's a good example of like, there are moments in there that are the best of us. Yeah, definitely. And Conda says he'll miss hearing Min May every day. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Every goddamn day. (laughs) And they all quietly admit that they don't want to leave. That would be that would be crazy, huh? Like like can you like you would get kind of. I felt I genuinely felt bad for them. I was. I did too. I I could see. I I could see why they wouldn't want to leave. I I think this entire scene it made it all coalesce together and like make me really like the spies. Yeah, and it gave us more time with them than any other episode has. And then they reflect upon meeting the bridge bunnies. Oh, yes. Okay, so imagine what that was like for them, you know? Uh, well, especially that uh, initial terror where they think they're going to be uh, interrogated and or uh, uh, killed because they think they're the special police. Right, right, yeah. And he's like, we got to do our duty. You know, imagine, imagine the proximity to a woman for the first time. <sighs> but, yeah, that, I mean, they're, they're sitting there and reflecting on it. He conversely, do you think the the terrible trio ever reflect on the time they went to the to the discotheque with uh, those three guys who had a weird accent? Probably not. No. Only because they they were probably so awkward and so weird, you know, that the girls were like, "Yeah, it was good to get," you know, because we were bored. So what were we gonna do? But you don't think they ever go like, "Hey, remember that small guy with the doll?" <laughs> yeah. How crazy was that? <laughs> and they're like, Sammy, you kissed him. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so a lady uh, leaves Global's office uh, after delivering orders. Uh, Global loads his pipe and is very upset by the orders. Uh, he wonders how he's going to tell the people. The orders tell him to remove his vessel from Earth proximity and keep the civilians on board. If orders are not followed, and then Global cannot read the rest. Right. So presumably this is the officer that was on that fancy helicopter, right? Yes. Because she came out with her accent, and I was like, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> right? And her, her hat is covering her face, so you can't see who it is. Yeah, and she has a brown uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to be on the SDF-1. Uh, but no, it make it makes sense. She's the one who arrived on the fancy helicopter, just like Rick and Max had assumed to give the orders to get the hell out of Dodge. And what was that accent? I don't know, but it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Okay, so Lisa enters the room. Global kind of snaps at her. So yeah, she's like, kind of uh, gruff, right? Yeah, something wrong. And uh, Global confirms the orders. So Lisa does what any good military second in command would do. She fixes a drink. Yeah. So one thing, I like that you can hear the pipe in Global's mouth when he's talking to Lisa. It, it sounds like uh, Greg, you know, we're on first name basis, no big deal. <laughs> but it sounds like Greg had something in his mouth to simulate a, a pipe being in his mouth. Might have been a pipe. We don't know. Right, right. Trying to hold it with your with your teeth, right, or your lips. But yeah, she makes she makes a drink in in I don't know. 
Does she make it for him or she make it for herself? Because she pours, uh, she pours two glasses there. Yeah, and and they're not those little like uh, cocktail <laughs> glasses, bro. <laughs> it's a Tom Collins glass. Uh, what do you think she she pours in there? Because I would originally say wine, but then she throws in ice. Yeah, yes, and it's darker. No, it's a darker colored liquid. It's a uh, crimson. I think she's throwing in fireball. Oh my god. <laughs> Straight up fireball, huh? Yeah. With a little bit of ice in it, huh? All right. What do you think? Hey, I was going to go with sangria. Because, uh, you know, it's a wine you can cool down. But, sang- well, yeah, yeah. Because sangria, yeah, maybe. No, it's fireball. It's a big-ass glass of fireball. <laughs> hey, the answers are always at the bottom of that bottle, bro. They are. They are. Let's take a look. I'll join you. <laughs> so Globo says that he expected the ship to be sent away, but to force the 70,000 civilians to become refugees. So we're back up to uh, 70,000. Remember last episode, oh. it was uh, 56,000. 50, yeah, those are some prolific people, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that original Japanese version, they always say 56,000. So I'm just thinking a, a writer kind of skipped through it. So they go to drink a toast to their last moments on Earth, but Lisa suggests drinking to the civilians, uh, which Global agrees with. Um, I think this is a great show of empathy and sympathy from Lisa. Just the fact that she thinks about others above herself. Right. You know, I, I almost wanted to compare it to uh, Rick and Max and their moment where they're like, all right, well, let's just watch the sunset then. But I don't think that's fair, you know, because Lisa's getting stone-cold confirmation. Yep, they're coming with us. I don't know. I, I think it's a nice touch for Lisa here. Definitely. And, and you know, she doesn't freak out either, so it's almost in, a, in an unworded way telling Global that he can depend on her, you know? Yeah, and and I think she was prepared for it. Very much unlike the the bridge crew when they hear, but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> right. So Global explains that the orders go into effect as soon as the supplies are loaded, and they'll have to announce the news, then pretty much just take off. And Lisa offers to make the announcement. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, now, do you think she did it just because she knew that Global was going to say no, or did she sincerely think it was something she could take off his hands? Because there's been, there's been shit I volunteered for, but I knew I wasn't going to get it. So they were like, oh, we love the effort. You know, we love the enthusiasm, but no. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? Good hustle. And you're like, I know. <laughs> I think she was genuinely asking. Because there, there is the possibilities that he had, oh, I don't know, a thousand other things to do in order to get the ship up and ready to go. Um, and that making the announcement would be a, a load off of him. So he realizes, all right, we're going to have to pretty much make the announcement and then take off, right? But let's say they had a week. But if I were a civilian, just a normal civilian, and I found out, yeah, no, we're going to have to leave. Uh, we, you know, it's, it's anchors up in, in a week. You would imagine a few of them would at least try to jump ship, right? Yeah, you would think so. How do you think Global would have dealt with that? 
I think he would have turned an eye and said, how can, you know, how am I expected to keep an eye on like 10 people when there's 56 to 70,000 others <laughs> trying, to, you know, that I've got to watch. We haven't, we haven't done a bed count recently, but <laughs> we're pretty sure it's somewhere between 56,000 and 70,000. But yeah, I don't think he would have been too, hell, I, there he might have like on the down low tried to make it easier for them to get out. You know, he'd have been like, okay, you know, today you guys, we're going to be looking north. So if anyone was <laughs> going to go south, we might not notice that. I know we're a spaceship, but <laughs> man, do we have a lot of flotation devices. <laughs> They're all located in these specific areas. Obviously, he wouldn't try to to uh, shoot anybody down or, or anything like that. But uh, I, I wonder if he would have a Veritech go and pick him up. And be like, "Sorry, guys, you got to go back to the ship." Well, and he might, he might, especially if the, the United Earth government tell, told him something to the effect of, "If people do escape, they will be killed." That's true. At least he'd be able to ex explain it and hold his head yeah. up at that point. Right. All right. So uh, Global says he should be the one, and Lisa uh, exits to make the arrangements. Yeah, then Global calls uh, Claudia on a handheld phone, by the way, who's on the bridge and asks her to quietly get ready for taking off. And apparently the terrible trio can hear the order, despite <laughs> Claudia using a phone and having it up to her ear. Maybe they're all listening in, you know? And she orders to prepare for takeoff. Okay, so this confirms the civilians have been declared dead and will stay with the ship. Sammy wonders if Lisa could talk to her dad and maybe pull some favors. Yeah. Yeah, then Claudia breaks in, tells her not even to suggest it. Lisa's in enough trouble with her father as it is. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what trouble is she? She's an adult. What trouble yeah. is she in? She's an, she's an adult in charge of the SDF-1. You know, second in command. But... Yeah, I, I really don't understand it, but it may have it may just be a misunderstanding or at least Claudia's understanding of what's occurred between the Admiral and, and Lisa. Yeah. And maybe Lisa didn't tell her about the letter that the Admiral sent to her trying to make a plea to her or apologize to her in some way. Right. And, you know, Lisa, if you think about those episodes, Lisa got back from her visit with her father. She was Vis visibly pissed off they all noticed that and so you know rumor to rumor well why was she so mad and it probably you know at some point you know who knows who knows what they came up with because lisa probably didn't disclose too much of what happened yeah and the, that left the terrible trio to their own devices to come up with why lisa was so pissed off yeah and they got it's super creative about it worst worst thing to do is to leave them to their own devices so, the Zentradi Armada fold to the other side of the moon. Uh, the spies were waiting for this as a signal. Again, some kind of pre-thought-of plan. Right, but right. You know, Here's so what we need you to do. We need you to steal it. Well, okay, hold on. <laughs> hold on. All right. It didn't have to be a battle pod. They could have stolen any ship. Not that they would have known how to fly a Veritech. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they keep a little tighter tabs on Veritechs than they do enemy battle pods i'm sure i'm sure but i don't know you know 
Anyway, they told him in some way, please get to atmosphere. Give a fuck if you have to fly a balloon. Now, now, Braun has his Zentradi voice again. Did you notice that? Yes. When they when when they're talking inside that battle pod, I can almost forgive it because maybe it's just echo amplifying things. I don't know, bro. It sounds very Zentradi voice to me. It does. It does a lot. Whatever it is, he's got his Zentradi voice back. That's what I heard. Right, but I, I have never really perceived them still having that that characteristic Zentradi voice. So I thought, oh, when you're when you're micronized, you wouldn't have it. But when you're in a battle pod, you do. Yeah, maybe they're getting back to their Zentradi roots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever it is, uh, their Zentradi puberty has kicked back in, and they've got their voice back. <laughs> And uh, they so Braun orders that they move out. Their pod blasts a hole in the SDF-1 hull, and they escape. Yeah. They go underwater onto a piece of land or maybe just a rock that's breaking the water. And the top of that battle pod shoots off. Yep, it kind of looks up and then launches off the legs. What would have been cool is if the legs would have kicked it <laughs> to help it launch up faster. <laughs> So back on the SDF-1, surveillance picks up the signal of uh, multiple fold operations. Global arrives on the bridge where Vanessa tells him that uh, multiple folds have been detected. And uh, we get this funny scene where Sammy asks if they might have come in peace this time. (laughs) Then catches herself and says, oh, of course not. I, I like this little part. Because I, I think it shows us that through all of this, Sammy and and more importantly, probably quite a few people on the ship have retained their kind of innocence. Exactly. Yeah. You know, especially Sammy and she's that youthful optimism of, hey, maybe we're not as screwed as we think. Right. Right. And everyone's like, yeah, you're right. We're way more screwed than we think. <laughs> and then uh, surveillance. And I keep calling them surveillance. I don't know what to call that that group. Didn't they, they, they referred to it as the radar room or something, didn't they? And that makes sense. That makes sense. What the hell is Vanessa doing then? Yes, I don't know. <laughs> so I got three people in that radar room. Um, so then they pick up something floating above the ship. It's the three spies and... Global asks Lisa if there are any fighters in the air. And there's not at the time, right? There is not. And uh, then Radar says that a large vessel is on a rendezvous with the thing floating above them. So Global moves the Veritech groups to yellow, and Vanessa detects more ships folding, this time somewhere in the millions. So imagine the computer's trying to count all this out, you know, because I I could see a little bit of lag going, even at computer (laughs) speed. You know, this isn't like a i7 processor. It's got to be like an i2 at this point. So it's uh, it's processing as fast as your little heart can. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and can we all applaud Claudia for getting badass here? Okay, wh- and what do you think that's attributed to? Huh. I think it's the hatred of the enemy now, man. They took Roy... And now she's like, we're taking these bitches with us. Oh, 
oh, you're so right. She's like, I don't care how many of them show up. We're going to kill every... I'm glad that a million showed up. Right. <laughs> Only a million? Damn. <laughs> wow. Wow. Great thought. I think she's ready to go down in a blaze of glory, you know? Oh, yes. I think you're right. Now, did you notice one of the screens on the radar as they're picking all this up? Mm-hmm. There's just a bunch of symbols and stuff, but there is one word, and it's what? Was it what? Yeah. <laughs> W-H-A-T or what? What? W-H-A-T? Oh, my gosh. Which is probably what the computer asked itself when it saw a million <laughs> ships. <laughs> I didn't catch it, though. Yeah, it just says what? I thought that was pretty hilarious. I'm like, hmm, okay. Oh, man. So then uh, Global knows that HQ is picking up on this and that since there's no communications that have been sent, they're on their own. And he tells the crew that they are on their own uh, and to be used as a decoy to lure the aliens away from Earth. They join the group of the Expendables. Now, if if the alien if if Earth was under attack, you know, and I was on some type of force to defend us against them, yep. and you know, a, a survival tactic was to have to leave and be a decoy. Like, like I'm not sure I'd have a problem with that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to take fifty six to 70,000 civilians with me. Right. But part of my duty would be like, okay, wait, Earth's only chance is us making them follow us? Well, let's go. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if I would see it that way as the civilian, but certainly as the, as the crew aboard the SDF-1. Uh, right, right. Well, yeah, the civilians, no way. The civilians are like, dude, get, just get me. I didn't sign up for this, you know? Right, right. So Britai is uh, waiting for the spies to get big again so that he can debrief. Yeah, it seems like a waste of time to have the spies macronized. I guess, I don't know. I guess depending on, like, what it takes to hear them. Like, you know, could you, could you imagine, like, you're debriefing some little mouse-sounding dude, and he's like, so, first we went, you're like, oh, wait, wait, I, I can't concentrate like this. You're going to have to get <laughs> like, big. and then. I guess if you have a million ships with you, you got all the time in the world. <laughs> Right, you gotta count, you gotta find out which one they landed on first to get them to your ship. You're like, um, <laughs> where are they at? So Azonia radios in, and Britai tells her that he will resume command. Azonia comments on the amount of ships he's brought. Britai counters by reminding her she has been beaten as well. Uh, she states the enemy has more powerful weapons, and Britai says that explains the numbers. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, they're just trading insults back and forth. Some of them, like, veiled, and some of them just very direct, right? I wonder why, why Azonia would have a problem to begin with, honestly. Um, well, we talked about Chiron and Azonia being the same, them both showing uh, pride. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess nobody wants to have command pulled out from under them. Right. And then for that, for the new command to come back with a million ships. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. if I would have known I had access to a million ships. And uh, being more okay, so Azonia tries to report, but Britai cuts her off and Exodor approves. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, he sounds a little bit like uh, Mr. Magoo there. He's like, <laughs> well done, my lord. <laughs> he does, right? He does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Britai does. He really does like use it as the last op- the the opportunity to get the last word in. You know, Exodus is like, yeah, tell him, Steve, Dave, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at the table, uh, Britai wants to go over the items brought back. We see a piano, a refrigerator, a TV, and then like a bunch of generic box looking stuff yeah a, a couple of tables and i i like that the uh the other pieces just look like legos next to right. the Zentradi, you know because i I've, I've had legos in front of me this must be what it looked like to them in fact <laughs> right. it looks like that one piece that that you use that little lever piece to remove other pieces of legos off of each other that comes in a fancier pack huh <laughs> yeah that's the uh 20 <laughs> plus pack yeah, see, all the Lego packs I've ever gotten came from a Happy Meal. <laughs> okay, so B-Type picks up a piano and asks what function it serves. Uh, the spies confirm it makes music. Rico tries to explain music, but B-Type tells him to continue. Yeah, they get like they they get super excited about it. Like, oh, let me tell you all about music, and B-Type's like, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Let's let's go get to the report. So Rico explains TV, entertainment, and the ability to repair. So this this is something that was not lost on even the spies. So that goes back to Britai's little space bubble that's or observation bubble that's still broken. Holy uh, shit, you're right. So I want to say in the books, they go on to explain that it was that the Robotech Masters intentionally withheld teaching repairs look i don't care if that's retcon or not um if that's a mckinney retcon that's brilliant yeah that's brilliant and they would have pulled it from this this one thing right that's that's yeah. fantastic and, right and that's why the the the, the zentradi you know revered the masters as like gods because they could create like even the zentradi i don't even think make their mecca it just gets pumped out and given to them Right, so that's why Conda um, uh, mentioning their ability to adapt to unfamiliar environments like sets them apart, you know, in an in an unfamiliar way to the Zentradi. Yes. Wow. Yes. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. No, that 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 adds quite a bit. It, knowing that adds a lot to it. We're learning here today, folks. Yeah. Or at least appreciating. Maybe not learning, but appreciating. Fair. Yeah. True. He goes on to uh, explain civilians. You know, he, he says that there's others, there's others than, than just soldiers. And cohabitation, and to his surprise, that it's not as bad as they thought. Yeah, so Braun's saying, like, males and females are together, and he moves his, like, two pointer fingers and, like, kind of pumps them together <laughs> to emphasize it. <laughs> And Exodus like, oh my. Brita right. is like, no, get the hell out of here, Braun. He's like, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. And he's like, no, I'm, I, I shit you not, Brita. 
wow, this is so great that they explain that they forced themselves to adapt to the presence of the females in. Got to tell you, no ill effects. All right. Uh, so for hours, for hours, the spies go on. Britai finally stops the report. Uh, he, he can't hear no more. But Exodor suggests that he be sent to go confirm <laughs> what's what the spies have reported. He's yeah. fascinated. Now, do you think that that's, that Britai has more like, I don't know, Zentradi resistance to where he doesn't want to see it? And that this is infecting Exodor now? Or is it the scientist in Exodor saying, dude, I got to see this. This is craziness. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely the, the scientist in Exodor. You know, he's he's done the most research on the Micronians. And hearing all this, it probably, um, probably confirms some stuff or illuminates some of the research he had because they had it, you know, somewhat wrong in some ways. And he's just like... Oh man, I got, I got, I got to get in on this, right? Imagine how much crazier it is to him. I mean, to to understand it, you know, to finally be getting firsthand evidence of, you know, this is what they do, and you're like, oh, when we thought, blah blah blah, you know, like like entertainment. What in the hell is that? You know, hey, we saw these pictures of these bikini clad women. What was that? And they're like, oh, that's a wet t shirt contest, you know, and <laughs> yeah, so. Britai denies Exodora's request uh, due to time constraints. Yeah. Dolza wants action now. So he excuses the spies who then <laughs> go off and meet in a separate room to reveal that they've kept artifacts for themselves, including a TV, a magnetic player, Minmay records, uh, or CDs. I don't know if they were records or CDs. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? I guess it depends on how it, because I, I imagine Zentradi punishment would be really harsh. And I am, how do I put this? Uh, a coward. So <laughs> it, it depends on the harshness. <laughs> I don't know, bro. If it was a, if it was some protoculture shit that you had never had in your life, I think you'd be willing to, to risk keeping something. Yeah, yeah. You've ne true. you've never heard music before. You've never heard, it and you're enraptured by Min May, and you have one of her records, and a, and a device to play it on. You ain't giving that up, no way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Just carry doubles of everything, right? <laughs> They'll be like, "Why did you keep that?" You're like, "I gave you my other one." Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I didn't see what the this problem one is was. Mine. You know how hard it is to be a Micronian and haul a goddamn refrigerator? <laughs> I earned this. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're showing it to e themselves, and then they can't help but think, hey, man, we got to show this to the other guys. Like, not only were we spies on another ship for, like, forever, which is going to give us cred all the live long day, but we also got to show them what the, the swag we got. Right, right. It, it, they, you, you see an almost prideful, braggart kind of thing to it. Yeah. Do you think that's a that's something that Zentradi would normally do? Or has a, enough of uh, our protoculture rubbed off on the three spies? I, yes, I think it's right. Because you're right. Well, 
I think that the Zuntradi have never had a need to spy on their enemy, so mm -hmm. you would never get infected like that, culturally like that. Right. But since they did spy and it did infect them, now it's a direct result of them being like, you guys got to see this, you know, like, like they can't help it. Right. And they, uh, they show the Minmay doll who sings and, and I don't know how well they would have heard it. Does having bigger ears give you better hearing? What I think of it as is like, remember when, when Rick and them all got interrogated, Number one, there were translators, right? There were some kind of universal translators that was going back and forth. Right. And it was probably amplified so that the Zentradi could hear. So when Ron and, and or, or, or Rico, Bron, and Conda were in this room, they probably didn't need the, well, they probably did use the translation and amplification so that they could hear it. Yeah, that's true. But but imagine, imagine it being weird because there was probably no translation for like love, to be in love, you know? It was like to be in, and then some word came up that they were like, what is that? Oh, right, right. You know, and, and imagine the pride, the swelling pride that the, the three spies had explaining what that was. Oh, come on. That was obvious, right? They had pride yeah, right? showing right? all this stuff. They, they would have loved to describe these concepts to everyone. Um so much so that the narrator tells us that the word of the doll has spread quickly and the name Minmay is being heard on every ship in the Zentradi fleet. That's a million <laughs> ships right there saying the name Minmay. It's not like 1,200, right? It's like a million. <laughs> so, okay. And everybody at that table looked like they were enjoying themselves to that song. Yeah. So, so this mage kind of lines up something. To me, in this episode, the, the pivotal part of this episode is that it's lining up the weapons against each other, okay? First, mm -hmm. it starts off with the Zentradi have a million ships, okay? Right. And this is what they're coming at Earth with. But the, the Zentradi is being affected, are being affected by the, the, the human culture, and this is humans or Micronian weapon against the Zentradi. Right. And th that's what's about to hit, you know, come to a clash. Because, you know, we weapon for weapon, there's no way Micronians could win. Right. Okay. But turn them to our side by infecting them with the culture. That might be what it, what it seems like, right? Like an infection. Yeah. All right. All right. A chilling look at things to come. And this is where the, this is the, the the show that starts the face off. This is where it, the the pivotal point that says so. You've got a million ships, but you've also got love. Yeah. So over on Earth, the SDF one is ready to lift off, but first, Global has to announce the bad news to the fleet. So he's in a studio preparing to be broadcast across the ship, right? And somehow Minmay and Kyle are invited. I, I'm thinking they were interrupting them doing commercial spots. Like, I'm Midmay, I'm Kyle, and we're stars of the new show, White Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's that's totally plausible. You're right. So Midmay and Kyle were on set or on screen, whatever, doing something, and then all of a sudden the military came in and said, hey, guys, we, we need the stage for a little bit. 
And what better way to say it when everybody's transfixed on Kyle? Uh, what would they call it? Uh, Min Kyle or Min Min Lyle? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, camera sent her in on Global, and he explains that he's appealed to the Earth's government to allow the civilians to leave on many occasions, but they have been denied. The ship has been ordered to leave immediately, and if they don't, they'll be attacked by their own forces. And Global continues to explain that they have been supplied up, and he needs their cooperation in this moment of terrible responsibility, which is a great phrase. And they must all work for the day that Earth will allow them back. So the civilians are besides themselves in shock. And he gives his final apologies. And God damn it, if Global doesn't begin to weep. He breaks down. Understandably. And not embarrassingly. I can't imagine having the responsibility of having to tell these people that. And so everybody kind of... Well, people that know Global kind of start to feel bad for him, and Minmay jumps in to offer support. Yeah. She calls the SDF-1 home, calms the crowd, uh, and the people start to rejoice. You know, with everything that she's saying, she's had more friends here than on Earth, and just on and on about the greatness of Macross, which, you know, for her, I get. Like, she found her fame on, on Macross, you know? Yeah, and, and it, like during Min May's speech, we see Lisa walk quietly out of the broadcast room because she was there with Global, and and I, I was wondering what that meant because then we see it, while Min May's giving this rousing speech, we see Rick inside his fighter and he's watching, but he's got his head to the side. He's I don't know if he's avoiding looking at Min May or if he was crying. But Minmay continues on, and then the mayor's wife is inspired, uh, as is the mayor himself, probably realizing that he gets to continue to be mayor, right? <laughs> yeah, right? And then we see more civilians begin cheering while uh, the, the to-be-in-love music begins to swell. So Rick not looking at the screen, what, what do you think he was doing there? Was he avoiding looking at Minmay? Was he being? Was he in shock like like so many of the other uh, civilians? Well, because we get a, a like a, a scene of like a lot of the main characters, right? Kind of kind of contemplating. Yes. Yeah. After as they're lifting out of the water. Yeah. So to me, that's what I thought they that they were that he was doing too. That they're that they're just in the middle of the contemplation of leaving Earth. Okay, so so Lisa runs out and and runs into the bridge and tells everyone to take position. They're going to take off immediately. I don't know exactly why she's running or rushing this whole thing as Global's giving the speech or as Min May's giving the speech. I don't know if she just didn't want to be in the room where Min May was was talking this nonsense, right? Because she runs into the bridge and the the terrible trio all dissipate from the broadcast that they were watching. I, I don't know. I just had this feeling that Lisa and Rick were both like, oh, I've had about an ass full of this girl. I mean, let's just do this. Okay. I think Lisa saw 
the, the perfect opportunity that at the apex of her rousing the morale of people of let's go now before people wake up, wait a minute, this is bullshit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to let them sleep <laughs> on this. Let's right. move out. <laughs> right. Right. I She's can like, go oh, everyone's happy. Let's go. Yeah. And there was part of me that thought Rick was kind of taking a moment and, and kind of weeping for the civilians. You know, maybe not weeping, but taking a, a somber moment for what that meant for all the people that were on board. Like, I, I think the bridge crew, the military in general, and, and Rick and his teams, they, they've they chosen their life, right? And they made that choice. But the civilians, they didn't. And now they're going to have to take off and go back into space. Yeah, I think it's open to interpretation, man. Because yeah. either one makes a strong point and... You know, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a part of Rick where he's looking at at that, or you know, looking at Minmay, and not really happy, but but her rousing speech and what it's doing for the civilians touches him. Yeah, it could be anything, but I like the open to interpretation. I think in my head, you know, there's a there's a bit of like devil in me that loves the idea that he was like, oh fucking Minmay, look who's stealing the spotlight. <laughs> Just can't, just can't keep herself off the, off the stage, right? Right, right. That like looks, looks at what she's doing as like a negative thing, not not taking into account that she actually is inspiring people. Um, so they lift out of the water and fire the reflex engines up and out of the atmosphere. So we go back to Midmay, who is now walking along the stage. You know where where. It, Originally, it was just like a one-shot uh, lockdown camera on Global to give his announcement. Now she's walking around. And she's saying that no matter, you know, no matter how far they go or how long it takes, their hearts will always be tied to the earth. And she wants to dedicate a song to the earth. And time to be a star starts playing, and she starts performing. And then there's a scene. I gotta give it up. Lynn Kyle walking up to the captain and saying. He respects his honesty and he knows he did his best. I really like this scene. I liked it too. Lynn Kyle is still a butthole, but it just goes to show the you know the, the respect global <laughs> commands. That's true. That's true. You know, but remember, Lynn Kyle hasn't been that much of a, a butthole so far. Well, he was a butthole to Roy, and that 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 made me mad. That's enough, right? Yeah, yeah. That's you all can't be takes. a butthole to Roy, dude. It's true. So we see the ship enter orbit, and we see the face of the bridge crew, Rick, Global, and then finally the SDF-1 flying further away from Earth. It's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful shot, but it is a heartbreaking shot. Yeah, yeah. That would have made a perfect wall scroll, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so ends this episode, Paradise Lost. I wanted to ask you uh, before we started, actually, but um, what do you think the name Paradise Lost refers to? Oh, damn. Uh, out of the gun, if I had to say Paradise Lost, I think that it's both the, you know, the, the, the spies leaving the ship. Mm-hmm. And the ship leaving Earth. Yeah. So I. Yeah. Uh, aside from being uh, 
a good reference to the the Milton poem. Uh, I I think under the gun I would have just said it was uh, in reference to the spies leaving uh, the ship, which I love. I love that they would name an episode in honor of the spies whom we've kind of grown to love. Like if if the spies at any point during their time there had murdered somebody, (laughs) (laughs) you know... (laughs) I guess wouldn't happen as a spy because you're trying to you're trying to keep low key. But you know, if, if something something had gone down, it would have been very easy to not like these guys. But but damned if they haven't uh, warmed our hearts. Uh, it makes me wish that they had had more screen time in these with how they developed because originally they were so goofy. It was like, dude, these guys couldn't be spies. They would have ruined everything. You know. Right. So at, at first, I didn't care for them. I, I, I found it just so unbelievable that they would act like this. All right, Mr. Mage. So what do you give the rating? Rating on this episode, number one, it's an absolute must watch. This is definitely top 10, maybe top 15 episodes. I'm going to give this a solid nine. Right on. And I will agree with you. I will give this episode a nine as well. It's definitely a must watch. All right. Absolutely. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I was expecting a lower rating. No, no. It's a must watch. It puts into perspective uh, events that are lining up. And you get fucking global breaking down, man. You get Rick breaking down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So nine. So, so who's your MVP? I'm giving Min May the MVP. <laughs> Min Min May? Here's <laughs> here's the thing. I I think this show is leading up to something or or attempting to lead up to something, and there are varying degrees of of how successful it is in doing so. And Min May is pivotal in that. If we hadn't had our opinion as as kids of Minmay up to this point i think i think a more sympathetic character or uh somebody that we that we certainly enjoyed on screen much more giving this final speech seeing a broken down global and coming in and kind of turning it around for the citizens i think we would have all rallied behind that person Having said that, if the song hadn't been my time to be a star again, because I I would imagine every you know some people were like, hell yeah, let's let's rally behind this girl, and then she starts singing "Time to Be a Star," and they're like, isn't that the song she sang at when she won Miss Macross? Like I don't know, is it, is it a little self promotive, and she's dedicating that to the people of Earth now? I'm not in love with the idea. But I think there's a there's a subtext, and I think this happens in 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 Japanese animation a lot. Um, that the power of music is very very powerful, and I think that's what they were going for. And I don't think they achieve it completely here. I really don't. But I applaud them shooting for it. So I am going Minmay, all barrels in. I get I get what you're saying. 
Yeah. Because you're right. Because the the weapon that there that that's like what I was later you know, earlier bringing up was that the weapon on our side was, you know, or is love. You know. Good. Right. I get it. Okay. Right on. It makes a little more sense now. Yeah, it's it's not as wild a choice as as it may come off at first blush. Yeah, yeah. So for me, my MVP are the spies. Oh, I love it. You know, I mean, maybe that's the easy choice, but they've shown the most growth. I like that they just anyone exposed to a culture that. That you start to realize isn't half bad. I mean, hell, man, how many of us from the '80s, if we had been sent to Russia, would probably have made friends and then not wanted to nuke the hell out of them, or thought of them as the evil enemy? You know, the evil empire. Right. So, so you can I, there's a, there's a certain amount of relatability to that where it's like, yeah, you know, they they came over, they were like, this isn't that bad, you know, and then and they were they're they're living proof that Min Mei's, you know, that, that, that love is going to, it has a profound effect and it has right. on them. Right. There's very few things that are, when you're exposed to make you a better person, you know, and music and love is one of them. Oh, listen to that. That's beautiful, buddy. I just came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. I'm good. Well, I, I think Rosie agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> You can hear her uh, offering her support back there, right? Yeah, and and something I was going to say, I I do remember as a kid when the three spies are are around the beef stew, I I do remember thinking like, goddamn right you don't want to leave. Things are pretty fucking great here on Earth, right? Like, I think we can all get behind that. You're right. Like, you ain't eating beef stew on a Zentradi ship, and it's, (laughs) it's pretty amazing, you know? Light shows, movies... Yeah. Refrigerators. Beer. If I could, I'd be honored to shake the hand of a fellow earthling. (laughs) Not during COVID, but absolutely. (laughs) I I agree with your pick. Uh, Honestly, if I had thought of it, I might have gone with it. But I was also excited to uh, support Minmay just one more time. Yeah, well, you you made a strong point. As always, thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on Instagram or write us at uh, reflexpointpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, and we'll see you next week. Any parting words, Paul? Yeah, everybody, thank you for showing support for the 5,000 downloads that we were able to post. That was a real honor. That really was, and and thank you guys for who joined in on the live stream. That was a that was a fun experiment that um, we just decided to do one day. Yeah, because we have no idea what we're doing with that with that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if you didn't notice, so, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. But thank you guys again for listening. Everybody, stay safe.